So let's talk about suffering as a Christian, okay? Uh, during the Last Supper, Jesus said some very encouraging things to his disciples. He promised them a home in heaven. He promised to send the Holy Spirit to be with them constantly. He prayed for them. But he also said some pretty uh, disturbing things. Okay? Perhaps the most disturbing of which is this. Just before he prayed for them, he said this in John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. One of the great callings of his church is to suffer. If it hasn't happened already to you, it definitely will happen. Yet the Bible gives us great truth and direction on how to suffer well. How to suffer well. It's actually a staple. Right? It's actually a part of the Christian walk, of your Christian journey. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's a, it's a normal thing for, for the Christian. Christianity is not all about good feelings, avoiding sin, living upright and holy lives, doing the best we can for God. It's, it's also about times of having moments of weakness and turmoil in the midst of a fallen world. And it's in that helplessness, it's also about learning what it means to suffer well in the suffering, in, in all that suffering in Christ, right? Suffering is an important and, and, and I would say, an, an, an inevitable, inevitable calling for his church. As mentioned in previous sermons, me and my family are coming off a, a time of suffering. Not only has the Lord been bringing us through trial and tribulation, he's also been bringing numerous um, people going through present suffering in their own lives. For instance, uh, we know a couple that's going through a divorce based on their differences in parenting styles. We know numerous people, friends and family, that are going through mental and physical and psychological health issues. We're encountering couples that that are experiencing, experiencing miscarriages. Right? We have a cousin that has, is um, in the hospital presently due to a brain hemorrhage. Church friends, pastors stepping down from their positions due to accusations or, or burnout, leaving churches pastorless. Right? It's been making me and my wife go, like, like what? What is this? Right? What? Recently, we've come... We've come to be that much closer to the tragedies and the loss and the suffering happening in this world today, right? Every day. There, there have been days of depression and doubt. God, are you even there? Are you even, are you even good? Is everything that we've learned about you and read about you in the Bible, is that really true? Is that really true? For countless people, the very presence of evil and suffering in our world today is actually the greatest hindrance from someone coming into a relationship with God. In December 2004, a massive tsunami killed more than 250,000 people around the rim of the Indian Ocean. Over the following weeks, there were many articles, and, and, uh, and there, was, uh, there was a report uh, asking this question, where was God? Right? One journalist wrote this, if God is God, he's not good. If, if God is good, he's not God. You can't have it both ways, especially after the Indian Ocean catastrophe. The journalist was basically saying, how could an all-powerful, all-loving God allow evil to exist? 
For others, the issue of pain and suffering is a deeply personal issue. They refuse to trust or believe in any God who allows such evil and destruction in life to proceed as it has. They say things like, man, I'm not going to believe in a God who allows suffering. Maybe, maybe he exists, maybe he doesn't, but if he does, he can't be trusted. So, uh, we'll tackle these issues in the sermon as well as how, as Christians, as a church, can we navigate uh, through our own suffering. Right? The children of God are not exempt from suffering. It is something that will occur to everyone, including God's own. So how can we navigate through our darkest, most tragic times? And so how do we, how do we suffer well? We'll look at it in three parts. The hard head heart. Number one, hard. Second, head. Third, heart. Point one, hard. It's a hard thing to deal with. Second, head. Answers to suffering. Maybe some biblical answers to suffering. And and third, heart, the heart of suffering. Okay, so let's start with the hard. All right, let's start with the hard thing. Suffering is a hard thing to deal with. Pain and suffering is a very hard thing to deal with. So what, what do you say to someone who is going through hard times? Right? What, what, what can you possibly say? Have, have you ever encountered those times when you just don't know what to say? Right? You, you search for words to try to remedy that person's pain. But all you encounter is awkwardness sometimes, right? But let me give you an encouragement. No matter how young or old you are, you can minister to anyone that is hurting. You can. It's possible. Anyone can do it. And this is how you do it. Sometimes the best thing to do is this. Don't say anything. You're like, what? Yeah, don't, don't say anything, right? Maybe... Saying less is actually more. Now, here's what I mean. Um, in this article on empathy, this, this article called Everything Doesn't Happen for a Reason, uh, written by a man named Tim Lawrence, he says this, When a person is devastated by grief, the last thing they need is advice. Their world has been shattered. This means that the act of inviting someone, anyone into the world is an act of great risk. To try and fix or rationalize or wash away their pain only deepens their terror. Instead, the most powerful thing you can do is acknowledge, literally say the words, I acknowledge your pain, I'm here for you. Note that I said with you, not for you. Right? For implies that you're going to do something. That, that is not for you to enact, but to stand with your loved one, to suffer with them, to just listen to them. To do everything but something is incredibly powerful. There's no greater act than acknowledgement, and acknowledgement requires no training, no special skills, no expertise, it only requires the willingness to be present with the wounded soul and to stay present as long as necessary. Be there. Only be there. Do not leave when you feel uncomfortable or when you feel like you're not doing anything. In fact, it is when you feel uncomfortable and like you're not doing anything that you must stay. Because it's in those places, in the shadows of horror, we, re we rarely allow ourselves to enter where the beginnings of healing are found. He's basically saying, you find someone that you know that's in the hole, you sit in the hole with them. And you weep with them. And you say, that's hard, brother. That's hard, sister. Right? Pain and suffering is a hard thing to deal with. But we can sit with them in it. Second, head. Let's talk about some biblical answers to suffering. One, uh, we'll, we'll do this in two parts. First, God is not the creator of evil and suffering. And Second, God is the creator of good through evil and suffering. Okay. 
So let's start with God is not the creator of evil and suffering. Because based on verses like these, it says he's, first off, James 1.13, God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. 1 John 1.5, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Third, God is not the author of confusion, 1 Corinthians 14.33. And if that's true, that means he cannot be the author of evil. So people ask, so why didn't God create a world that was good in the first place, right? A world where there's no suffering, where there's no evil. The answer to that question is, uh, he did. <laughs> Genesis 1, right? He says that when God created the world, it was good. There was peace, serenity, unhindered communion with the maker and his creation. There was what we call shalom. So where did bad and evil come from? Well, in the creation of all that is around us, what is the highest virtue of good? What is the highest virtue, most honorable, supreme form of morality? What is it? It's, he gave us love, right? Love, love. And you cannot have love without freedom of the will, right? Without freedom, love wouldn't be a choice. It would be compliance, deadened obedience. It's impossible to truly love unless you have a choice to do so. For an example, right? I don't know if uh, growing up in the old days, they used to have dolls where you pull the string and they goes, I love you, right? I love you. It's a little scary. Um, and did those dolls have any choice but to say, I love you? No. It was all compliance. It was made to do that, right? It had no choice of its own. God did not want this. He did not make us into mindless dolls, right? In order to truly love, you need choice and free will. Unfortunately, it was humanity's choice to rebel against the creator. It was, the onus is on us. We chose not to love him. We chose to rebel. So again, where did evil come from? Unfortunately, humanity used its free will to choose what? To bring about evil and rebellion into this world. You've heard the story of Adam and Eve. That's where it first occurred, right? Amongst their disobedience, but the pattern was set since that time. From that day, death and sin entered the world every single day. And we chose to rebel and ultimately fall from our relationship with God. Humanity's free will brought about a world that was cursed with sin and affected by death. And you and I have been, been living in that reality for our entire lives. We blame God for the things that happen in this world, but we don't take the onus for it. We say, God, why did you do that when it's humanity's responsibility and own fault for most of the things that happen in this world. We have man-made evil. In 2017, the deadliest mass shooting in modern American history occurred in Las Vegas. Do you remember that? In the hands of a gunman, 58 people were killed, nearly 500 injured. More and more people have been coming out, how they've been sexually abused and assaulted, even by big-name Hollywood movie producers and actors. Right? You're hearing more of these stories. It is estimated that 95% of all pain in this world is a result of things humans do to themselves or to others. So it's not really fair to blame God, right? For the things humans do to one another, since humans were the ones who committed these acts. Many blame God for all the hurt, suffering, and chaos that's going on in the world. And as I said before, we don't take onus for it. We shift the blame, and oftentimes we are not willing to own up to our own sins and mistakes. God is absolutely not the creator of evil and suffering. He is not. But, listen, God does create good through the evil and suffering. God creates good 
in His mercy and grace and power, He uses suffering and creates good through it. Through pain and suffering, three part, through pain and suffering, He notifies us. Through pain and suffering, He brings out our good. And through pain and suffering, it will end. It will end. So first, through pain and suffering, He notifies us. I don't know if you heard of this girl named, named uh, Ashlyn. Uh, Ashlyn, uh, she has a... Um, Yes, that's her. Uh, Ashton has a condition called CIPA. I don't know if you've ever heard of this disease. It's a congenital insensitivity to pain and anhydrosis. She cannot feel pain, and her sweat glands don't work. The problem seems to sound pretty good. Oh, you can't can't feel pain. That's awesome. But the reality is if she steps on a nail, punctures her skin, it creates an infection, Ashlyn would not be aware of it at all. Why? She can't feel pain. This, is, this has brought so many problems in Ashlyn's life. She can put her hand on a hot stove burner and not know that her skin was literally melting, melting under the intense heat. Her mother says this. She says, I pray. I pray, I pray one prayer for her every single night. God, please have my daughter feel pain. The point about talking about the poor condition of this girl is this. In our finite minds and existence, we can obviously see the effects of pain in warning us that something is wrong. It war- pain just wakes us up to the fact that something is wrong. How much more for God in his finite mind, knowledge, and wisdom to allow pain in our lives to help us know that something is wrong. The world is not right. It's not what it's supposed to be. C.S. Lewis says this. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The Lord wakes us up to the real condition of the world. Sometimes when we're stuck in our social bubbles, our groups, our busyness, we can forget, man, there's some brokenness and fallenness out there. The world is not how it's supposed to be. Through pain and suffering, he notifies us. Right? He wakes us up. Second, he, through pain and suffering, he brings out our good. And I have to, I have to retreat back to Romans 8, 28 to 29. Right? I have to because it's, it's, it's the verse of talking about how God works for the good of those who love him. Right? It's, and we need to go into this and allow me to dissect it a little bit so that we can be convinced further in our hearts that God really does do this. Romans 8, 28 to 29, and we know that for those who love God and all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Let's bring up this assumption again. Since there is so much pointless evil in the world, then a good and loving God cannot exist. Right? Have you even thought that for yourself? Like, I'm going through so much hurt and pain. How can, this, how can God love me in the midst of this? Right? First off, let me say that abandoning belief in God is not going to help the situation at all. Rejecting God is not going to alleviate the tragic situation that may be present. That's first off. In addition, this very statement doesn't hold up. Just because you can't see or imagine a good reason why God might be allowing something to happen doesn't mean that there can't be a good reason. Listen, we, we deeply struggle with the truth that God is good all the time. We say it, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good, right? 
because we try to examine God by the everyday occurrences of our lives, right? So more often than not, when life is good, we can wholeheartedly say, God is good, right? But when things go bad, we actually have a hard time believing in that statement. For instance, the great basketball player for the Golden State Warriors, Stephen Curry, what does he do when he makes just an amazing, miraculous basketball play? What does he do? You guys know? Yeah, yeah. He, he points up, right? He hits his heart and goes like this, and he gives credit to God, right? Now, a lot of players do that, right? There's even in their post-conferences of after the game, when they, when they win, right? But when players fail or mess up, where is all the pointing? Where's all the celebration, right? Where's the acknowledgement? There is no praise when things aren't going right. This illustrates the belief that God is good when there are good times, but we are tempted to think that he is absent or even not good in the bad, unfortunate times. There are some of the, some, some of the most solid truths of God as told in the Bible that we've been taught through all our lives. The things like, the things of God's, the things of God, that God is good, God loves me, God is able, God is in control, God sees the long game, He's, he sees things that I can't. These things are true of God no matter what. These things are not up for debate, depending on what our days are like. If God is all-knowing and all-powerful, then he has to transcend or be above our ups and downs of our own life journeys. God can't be confined or judged by our ups and downs. Tragic and or great positive circumstances of life, God is greater than that. God is greater than our circumstances. And this great God has promised to work good in all of our circumstances, not some but not most, not many, but all. The all here in the Greek, you know what that means? It means all. <laughs> okay, that joke didn't work. It means everything. It means everything. Everything through the best circumstances and through the worst. God is working for the good. So you might be thinking, well, what is good? Lord, what is this good, right? And so we look back at verse 29 in Romans 8. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This good, it says it right there. Just going to talk about it. It says it's very clear. This, This good is that God is tirelessly shaping us into the resemblance of his son, Jesus Christ. We, we have been given the great gift of salvation in Christ, being forever in God's rule and presence for all eternity. But until then, the greatest thing he can offer us now in our earthly existence is being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Regardless of life's up and down, ups and downs, he has one agenda, and that agenda, that good, is what? Becoming more like him. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard this before, and you might be thinking, whoop-de-doo. Yay, I'm becoming more like Christ. So what? I've heard that truth before. Big deal, right? Is that really something that's something I should really celebrate in? Well, let me, let me, me put it through this exercise really quick, okay? And I've seen this done before. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. All right, let's, let's read this. Uh, let me read this to you. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. You guys know these verses. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Okay, now, listen. Uh, I have those verses up there, okay? What I want you to do is replace uh, love with your name on it, okay? Just do it. Just put your name on that, 
Okay. So for instance, uh, luster is patient and kind. Luster does not envy or boast. Now, now do that for just for a minute. Put your name on there and just read those verses that way. Okay. Just give you a minute. Now, question, uh, how did that make you feel, okay? Um, last time I did this exercise, uh, one student said, man, this makes me feel really good. Like, I'm like, you don't, get the, you don't get the exercise, right? Another student raises their hand and is like, I feel, I feel like a liar. I feel like a liar, right? If you're anything like me, I came across with that exercise pretty discouraged. Man, I'm not patient or kind. I mean, sometimes I... I Sometimes I do envy, I do boast in myself. I am arrogant. Uh, man, I insist that my own way be done. Now, now replace, now, now with that, now replace love with um, his name, Jesus. Right, do that really quick, right? Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist in his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Verse 7, Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, how has your attitude changed, right? Right? My guess is there was encouragement, there was hope as you did that. Because we were reminded of truth. We spoke truth that Jesus is patient and kind. He's all these things. In other words, Jesus is the most beautiful person that this world has ever known. Amen. We all have traits we don't like in ourselves, right? We wish we could get rid of them sometimes, a lot of times, all the time. Do you see? Jesus has every trait we want in ourselves and in the people we want as friends, spouses, family members. Read the Gospels and Jesus is everything we want to be and ever want in someone else. Jesus is the most beautiful person we can ever behold, and God is making us into that, (laughs) into him. God is doing that in us, in our triumphs and challenges in life. What an amazing gift. He is transforming us through and through. Now, if this doesn't sound desirable to you, verse 28, then maybe it's because it's in a category for people that there's, there's constrictions to this. What, who gets these blessings, right? Verse 28, for those who love him who are called according to his purpose, right? Not every person gets this promise fulfilled in them. Not every person gets transformed from life circumstances. It's only people that have this special bond relationship with God. It's only those who believe in Christ, his death and resurrection, that he died for our sins and rose again three days later that you have a relationship with God, that is the criteria of experiencing blessings like these, right? If, if you're one that does not have a relationship with God, then becoming like Jesus is not really high on your bucket list. It's not. Listen. What separates, what separates a follower of Jesus versus someone who doesn't is not your circumstances, okay? It's not. Going through trials and tribulations of life does not mark a Christian. It's not a badge of honor, a special badge of honor for a Christian to suffer. Everyone goes through bad times. Everyone goes through good times. There there are times when it's really, really, really bad, right? When bad things happen to someone and times that are really, really good for someone, but that is true for everybody. You know, I'm certainly not 
listen, I'm not, I'm not downplaying or taking for granted the tragic events that may have happened in your life, okay? But I am, I am saying this truth that I'm simply expressing a universal truth that everyone goes through stuff. Everything goes through stuff. When your significant other says, I no longer love you anymore. When a boss tells you you're fired. When you lose a loved one in a tragic motor vehicle accident. No one is exempt from the bad to very bad things to very, very bad things that happen in life. I would even argue that even coming out and surviving and conquering those times does not mark a Christian. If you ever read biographies of people, all sorts of people from different cultures, religions, and backgrounds, whether they believe or don't believe in Jesus, they go through some pretty hard things, and you know what? They come out of it, sometimes even stronger. The human nature and will is incredibly resilient, incredibly tough, even without having a strong faith in God. So your darkest times and your trials, your heartaches, are pretty common in the human experience among 7 billion people in the world. Right? Chances are you can find someone that has gone through a similar good or bad circumstance in your life. Misery loves company. There's a good chance you may find company in your misery if you look hard enough for someone. But what separates, listen, this is important. What separates the follower of Christ from a non-believer is not what is done to you, but what is done in you. Okay? What separates the follower of Christ from a non-believer is not what is done to you, but what is done in you, what separates the suffering of his children versus the suffering of those who do not have a relationship with God is not what is done to you, but what is done being in you. Don't miss this. Don't miss this truth. What may be a hidden agenda in the darkness that occurs in your life, you can ask, ask the question, what is God teaching me in this? What, what is he doing in making me more like Christ? Find, find meaning in the, in the fogginess of the pain that you're going through. You can go... Listen, you can go through trials and tribulation in your life. You can get through them, and you can survive and conquer it. But when we're going through hard times, that's sort of our natural mindset, right? I just got to get through this. Once I get through this, I just got to get this over with, okay? I just get through. I just got to put up with this or that, and I'm, I'm just going to wait till the end of this trial and this tribulation. It's just got to pass over me, right? But, but if our only goal is to conquer and survive like everyone else, we are aiming our sights far too low. Because everyone is doing this. Everyone has the same mindset and attitude towards their present suffering. So what should happen from a series of bad things happening to someone is, is, is what? What's the natural thing? You get cynical. You get bitter. You get angry when all these bad things are happening to you. Right? It's very understandable. It's a natural result of being pummeled by life. But that, but that comes from just seeing what's being done to you. Right? We're called as this church to eventually realize that what God is doing in you in the midst of your suffering. Listen, you know, I've been pretty candid. I've been pretty candid in terms of uh, just what have we been actually been going through as a family. And then long story short, um, we've been deeply hurt by uh, a past ministry where I was pastoring at. And um, it led to depression. It led to burnt out. It led us to us to have a separation from the church that we loved. I haven't done formal pastoral work in the last year. What I've been doing was seeking counseling and, and, and working through the trauma that we experienced through that experience. And I would say after leaving that church, I found myself jobless. And actually, I lived back home with my parents uh, for three months, me and my wife and my two kids. Now, you can imagine what happens to the ego in that. Man, this is not how you successfully 
succeed. This is not how you succeed in ministry life, right? I'm not climbing up. I just feel like I'm going backwards. But that's not the worst of it, of feelings of inadequacy and defeat. The worst of it was, just to share with you guys, I come from a, uh, a pretty um, uh, an emotionally, verbally abusive home. And coming back into the presence of that, can you imagine? Again, now more, like, Lord, what are you doing? I lost a job. I feel like I'm failing because now I live with my parents, and now I have to relive, as I live back with my dad, I have to relive now this, the feelings of the verbal abuse and the, the strife and the physical pain that I went through as a child. Like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's not fair. It's not fair. And I would say that if you ever went through any abuse, any type of abuse growing up, what children do is they, they learn to protect themselves. And what they do is they kind of wall off and protect themselves by, by walling off their hearts so that they can't get hurt again. And that's what I did growing up. I just walled off my hearts. The negative consequence of that is the, the older you get, that walled off heart continues. It's hard for you to receive love. and It's hard for you to give love. Now, what's the remedy to that? Of course, it's God, but the remedy of that is also I had to encounter again the grief and the pain, and I actually had to... See, emotions is like water through a pipe. If you don't express those emotions at the right time, it gets clogged, and you become what we call emotionally unhealthy, and then it leaks out sometimes in anger and unhealthy ways, and it hurts other people. You, get the, you ever hear the saying, hurt people, hurt people? Well, that's really true. Hurt people, hurt people. And I found myself wondering, why can't I love my wife and my children like I should? And it was because I was protecting this heart. But through that season in my parents' home, the Lord encountered me, and he started breaking down those walls. He started allowing me to express and experience those emotions of grief and sadness. And he was encountering me in that grief and sadness and saying, you may not have had a father that you feel like loved you unconditionally, but I am your father that loves you unconditionally. And through that, he was taking a tin man's heart and bringing it into flesh. And I would have to say, by the glory and power of God, I can love people better. I can love God more. He was taking this heart of stone and making it a heart of flesh through the hardest times of my life. What am I trying to say here? What I'm trying to say is that through the trials and through the hardships, there is usually an amazing testimony of God's power and faithfulness. Some of you in this very room can testify to that. Some of you have been through the hardest times, but in you is also a testimony of God's power and faithfulness in your life. Not only does God work through sermons and talks, but he works through real-life experiences of hurt and pain to prove that he is faithful and loving. I would say this before, and I'll say it again, that for me and my wife, presently now, we can say that we love God more than we ever had before. And God used the hard and troubling times to do that. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. What is your testimony of God's grace in your life? What is it? If you don't have one yet, God will use often the pain and suffering, not because he hates you, not because he's angry at you. It's because he loves you, and he wants you to know him more, and wants you to know what love is like and what it means to love others. 
He wants to take your heart of stone and make it into a heart of flesh of how he created you originally. We have a beautiful God. We have a beautiful God. Through pain and suffering, he brings out our good. And then through the pain and suffering, it will end, guys. It will. It will end. 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul also wrote, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 8.18. Think about it this way. Let's say on the first day of the year, uh, the first day of maybe 2019, you had an absolutely terrible, horrible day, Okay. You might have, uh, maybe these circumstances might have happened. You, you might have went to the dentist and you had to have a root canal, but they, they ran out of anesthesia. Okay. Or and the same day, you crashed your car on the way home from the dentist. You get home, you get something in the mail, you find out that the IRS is going to audit you. Okay. You all of a sudden forget you have a final. You rush to the school, the university, the class, and the teacher says you can't make it up, so you flunk the class. The very same day, you get a phone call and you find out that your friend betrayed you. The whole day goes like that. It's just terrible. It's horrible. No good. Very bad day. But then for the rest of 2019, all the rest of the days of the year are amazing. A friend wins the lottery and gives you a portion of his winnings. $10 million. You get a portion of that. You get promoted to the dream job you've always wanted. The New York Times puts your picture on the front page as the person of the year, right? You have your first child. Some of you are a little young, but let's pretend you had your first child, as Pastor Kun will be soon, right? Right? Yeah. Okay. Pray for Pastor Kun, his wife, and the child for a safe delivery, please. Okay. But say you have your first child and your wife insists that he be named after you. I'm looking at this. I'm looking at Samunim. He's like, uh, no. Right? You get a chance to meet your favorite celebrity, and you have the most enjoyable, stimulating conversation. Mind you, this is one day. Your marriage is going very well. You take a wonderful vacation to uh, Vermont. It's beautiful up there, at, at least so I hear, and Mike's from there too, and he, 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 he can vouch for that, right? But it's fully covered by the part of the $10 million your friend gave you, right? And you visit the doctor and it goes stellar. Your health is amazing. Your health is awesome, right? So here we go. Here we come. New Year's Eve 2000, uh, 2000, uh, 2020, right? And someone asks you, so how was your year? Right? What's your response going to be? Oh, it was great. Right? Then that person asks, well, what about that first day? And you go, oh, yeah, I guess, man, yeah, I guess that was a bit rough. Right? But then you say, but the rest of the year? You know, it was actually pretty wonderful. I actually forgotten all about that first day. You know, that's what heaven's going to be like. You know, that's not to deny the reality of pain and suffering in the world, but after 15 million years in the bliss of being in the presence of the Lord, being in his secure, loving presence 24-7, all the troubles of this life is going to seem so insignificant. God will have wiped all the tears from your eyes, and they'll seem like a wisp. So if someone asks you, how's your existence been? (laughs) You're going to say, wonderful. They're going to ask, but didn't you have a painful life? And that's true, but you're going to say, well, that's true, but it it pales in comparison. It pales in comparison to the wonders God has given me from those times and since then. Through pain and suffering, it will end. It will end. 
Revelation 21.5, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first, heaven and the, first heaven had pa- the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be the dwelling place. Behold. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. God is not the creator of evil and suffering. God is the creator of good through evil and suffering. Through, evil and suffer, through the evil and suffering, he notifies us. Through the pain and suffering, he brings out our good. Through the pain and suffering, it will end. It will end. But how can we be sure? How can we be sure, Lord, is this legit? Is everything that I heard today from your word, is that really true? The heart of suffering, the heart of suffering. The deepest of suffering is known in God's own heart. The deepest suffering is known in God's own heart. God himself deals with the pain and chaos and turmoil in the world through what? Through his son, Jesus Christ. Why Jesus? Why Jesus? Because he is God's solution to the problem of suffering. In him, we see that although God was responsible for all the wrong, was not responsible for all the wrong we see in the world today, he loves us enough to voluntarily bear voluntarily bear the responsibility for it. We have a God that has suffered with us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You th- Listen, have you ever thought that Christianity is pretty exclusive? Like, man, you really think Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven out of the mess of this world and the only way to, to salvation, right? Is that, that, that sounds pretty exclusive, right? Here's an exclusive claim for you, all right? There is no other God or deity in any other religion that has suffered in order to save his own people. No other. Only this God has. He suffered so that we can find salvation. On the cross, Jesus experienced the deepest, darkest, hurtful of all types of pain. Not just physical, not just psychological. Jesus had to go through the torment of relational pain. God went through the pain of losing his own son. It was that moment on the cross that the son was actually dead to the father. Dead, right? If anyone deeply knows pain and suffering, it is Jesus. It is God the Father in every way. That's how we know these are true. He suffered so that there would be hope in our suffering. Jesus suffered so that he can change us in our suffering. Jesus suffered so that there would be an end to our suffering. 1 Peter 4, 12-13 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Verse 13, verse 13, but rejoice. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Let's pray.